And just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast, Thursday morning, May 6th, the Overlord 2021. I'm Josh Pate. Happy to have you with me. It's all Q&A Tuesday morning. It's all Q&A Thursday morning. JoshPate706 at gmail.com. That is option number one to submit a question or comment or constructive feedback. And I want to stress constructive. You can also DM me on Twitter, Instagram, at Late Kick Josh, which reminds me, well, first off, my usual plea for you to follow me on both at Late Kick Josh. Believe it or not, I'm a big fan of when you guys put in your Instagram story screenshot evidence that you are listening to the podcast and you're telling other people to do the same. So when you do that, just make sure you tag me so I can share it. Much appreciated, as I've told you many times and will continue to do so. You are our marketing department. So, you know, believe it or not, the formula for getting out of the pandemic ends up being the same formula that we have to use to grow the show, and that is we're all in this together, period. All right, we got a loaded mailbag this morning, so let's waste no time. Let's dive right in here. I got a first one from a number of you, and it's kind of a combination, so I'm going to take all of your questions, and I'm going to form them into one basic premise of an idea or a question, I guess, and that is, do you think Jimbo Fisher is overrated? Why or why not? Now, Jimbo got caught live mic style on, I guess, Tuesday, maybe? Tuesday or Wednesday. It was this week. He was at a booster function in, I think it was Houston. As you can tell, I've paid a ton of attention to this story. So there's a lot of I think and I'm pretty sure in this. I think he was at a booster event somewhere in Texas, and he was asked about Nick Saban at Alabama as he gets asked every time there's a microphone in front of him. And so Jimbo Fisher does what everybody does at these speaking engagements, and he pulls out a big old slab of red meat out of his back pocket, and he just, whoop, splat. He just hurls it out there right onto the floor amidst all these Aggie fans. And so they love it. And basically what he said is, we don't need Nick Saban to retire. We're going to beat him while he's still at Alabama. Okay, yuck, 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 yuck. Nick Saban would laugh harder than anyone if he were on the front row. I have been in speaking engagements for both of these guys. I understand how the game works. I understand the format. Those of you who have been at these, you do understand the format as well. But for maybe some of you out there who haven't ever attended an event like this, it's not a press conference. Press conference, this normally doesn't happen. But these speaking engagements... I mean, this is like a backyard barbecue. He might as well be up there speaking in flip-flops with sunscreen on his nose. You just, whatever you want to say goes. I've heard some great stories in these formats. They're a little more buckled down than they used to be, of course, because people are carrying their cell phones around and someone's recording you. And so anything that's truly worthwhile that's said, it's going to eventually leak out. So there was no big deal about this, but some people tried to make it a big deal. To be honest with you, it felt like Jimbo Fisher was running his own website out there and he really needed clicks and needed to aggregate some headlines. And so he just decided to reverse engineer that process because that's essentially what he did for a lot of websites the last two days. So the question, is he overrated? No, of course he's not overrated. Jimbo Fisher is a championship winning coach. He's a guy who has now built up two programs being better than they were when he took over. Took over, obviously, at the end of Bobby Bowden's career. And so he built that up, eventually won a championship at Florida State. And that went downhill, and there were two points of speculation there. Speculation number one is Jimbo's not getting what he needs from Florida State. So he is soured on this whole situation here, but he's not soured as a coach. It's just no longer a good fit here. But when he eventually leaves, he'll go somewhere else, and he'll win, and my opinion will be validated. That was point of view number one. Point of view number two is he just doesn't have it anymore. The game's passed him by. He won his championship, but now he's fading into obscurity. So long, Jimbo Fisher. It doesn't matter where he goes. He'll never be successful again. Well, obviously, the second part wasn't true. I think the first part was true. He's gone to Texas A&M, and if you believe that he ultimately was being told no far too often when he should have been told yes at Florida State, if that was the case. I'm not going down that rabbit hole today. But if that was the case, well, he's got all the yeses at Texas A&M. 
Now, the good news for Jimbo Fisher is he gets yeses. The, I don't want to say bad news, but the other news is when you get all the yeses, that also removes any ability to make excuses. Now, he hasn't made any excuses out there. Quite the opposite. He has started to achieve. At Texas A&M has improved every year. You never call a coach overrated when they keep improving the program year over year. Now, eventually, you keep running into that same brick wall. And if you throw a tennis ball from 50 yards away and you hit a brick wall, that's cool. You just move to 40 yards and then 30 yards. Well, Texas A&M keeps doing that with Alabama. But it's okay because they've, there's been a wide gap between A&M and Alabama. And so they've lost, and then they move closer, and then they lost, and then they move closer, lost again. I mean, they were so close last year, they lost and were still in the playoff conversation. Well, now the fan base looks around and says, okay, this isn't year one or year two anymore. You're a little ways in. And so now we can still chuckle at this, and we can still understand it takes more than a year or two to build up to be able to compete with them. But dot, 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 it's no longer a year or two, Jimbo. So <laughs> I'm going to smile while I ask you, but uh, when are we going to get this done? And then everyone's face goes straight, and then all the laughing ceases. So that's fair. That's totally fair. You get paid what he gets paid. You have the resources he has. Those guys are big boys. They don't have a problem with those kinds of questions. Now, the question I got asked a million times, is he overrated? I may have a problem with those for the same basic reason I have a problem with the is Notre Dame overrated crowd. And maybe you're a part of that. If you're listening right now, maybe you're a part of that. I think it's stupid. I'm not, I'm not calling you stupid. You may be a genius. Smart people say stupid things all the time. Stupid people rarely say smart things, but smart people say stupid things all the time. With the Notre Dame is overrated crowd, I addressed this last week. I'll tie it right into Jimbo Fisher. I went on Twitter. I said, do you believe Notre Dame is overrated? And if so, tell me which team it is they're consistently rated above that they don't belong above. And I got a whole bunch of, well, they get in all these playoff games and they don't get the job done. And I said, okay, are you going to answer my question? Because that's not what I asked. I didn't ask, are they making the playoffs? I said, who are they rated above? This is the definition of being overrated, by the way. Who are they rated above consistently that they shouldn't be rated above? And then I go, well, they got their own TV contract and they get a bunch of media headlines and they get disproportionate coverage. Okay, you can ask my question because that's not what I asked. Ditto, ditto, ditto. And so basically it circled back around to this. The best people could come up with is, well, I think Texas A&M should have been in over Notre Dame last year. Like that's the best they could come up with. I don't agree with that. At the very best, that is a flimsy argument, and it's a one-year argument. So basically what we arrived at is no one could tell me how Notre Dame is consistently overrated. Here's the reality with Notre Dame. They're not overrated. They've been totally properly rated. If anyone walks up to you and says Notre Dame is better than Bama, then they're overrated. If anyone tells you ditto, they're better than Ohio State, they're better than Clemson, then they're overrated. Then I'll listen to you. If you bring that argument to me and say, look, Josh, look what this guy said. Yep, you're right. According to what he just said, they are overrated. No one's saying that. What I am saying and what the playoff committee has said and what I think a lot of us have to acknowledge, whether you like it or not, is Notre Dame's been in that second class of teams, the ones who haven't won a title. They're not consistently right there at number one, but they're really good and they're really consistent and they're always in the conversation. Well, Notre Dame's been good enough out of that group of teams to get in the playoff a couple of times. And therein lies the distortion of Notre Dame in your mind. You actually watched them play Clemson. You didn't watch the next team that got left out play Clemson. Same thing would have happened, but you didn't see that team that got left out against Clemson. You did see Notre Dame. You did not get to see the next team that would have been in against Alabama. You saw Notre Dame against Alabama. Well, the problem is the same thing happened to Notre Dame that would have happened to the next team that would have gotten put in. So in your mind, you said, well, Notre Dame keeps getting blown out. They must be overrated. No, 
No, they were the proper placement. They were the team that should have been there. None of you were going to beat that team. None of you were going to beat that number one team or that number two team. That's the whole point. They're not overrated because they keep getting drugged by better teams. They're overrated if you claim they're better than those teams. So how does this apply to Jimbo Fisher? Well, if someone walks up to you and says, Jimbo's better than Nick Saban, that's ludicrous. No one believes that. If they walk up to you and say, Jimbo, greater than Dabo Swinney, I don't believe that. I don't think many people are saying that right now. If they said that, it would make him overrated. But I don't hear that. What I may hear, to be honest, I don't hear people do this a whole lot, but if they were to do a classification of coaches, they may put Jimbo Fisher in the Brian Kelly, Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley conversation, and I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a single problem with that. I think maybe the perception, kind of like when Notre Dame actually ends up being the one that plays the big-time teams and gets beat with Jimbo Fisher, it's like this. He's the one, out of Brian Kelly and out of Lincoln Riley and even out of Kirby Smart, he's the one that actually has to play Saban every year. And so every year so far, you've had that taste in your mouth of, well, they're not as good as Alabama. Yeah, that well, that can be true. And it can also be true that he's one of the six or seven best head coaches in America. Like both of those things can be true. As long as Saban's number one, theoretically, you could be the number two best coach in America and consistently lose to him. So I don't believe Fisher's overrated at all. I, I would love for him to be leading my program. I think they keep improving year over year. Uh, They are building a roster that more closely resembles that of Alabama. They are not on that level, uh, nor has anyone else been, but they draw closer to it. Let me just say that. Now, I could be 10 miles away from you today, 7 miles away tomorrow. That makes me closer. That does not make me equal to you. But no, to uh, put a cap on it, I don't think he's overrated, and I like where they're at. Melvin, up next. I'm kind of new to the show. I started listening to the podcast version. Then I switched over to the YouTube version. I'm curious how much betting talk you have during the season. Thanks for the great show. Keep it up. Uh, Thank you. First off, Melvin from myself and producer Jordan and then director Emeritus Colin and the entire crew in Connecticut as well. So thank you from all of us because they're the ones who make it happen every bit, if not more than me. It would be a sad, sad sight if I were to try and execute this by myself. I just stand outside and scream on a street corner and hope enough people congregated around me. I don't think we'd have video either. So here's how this works. I'm glad you asked this, Melvin, because it's going to look a little bit different this fall. This show, uh, Late Kick, at 24-7 Sports, we've only been here one full season. And it was a pandemic election season. Double whammy. Terrible for viewership. Just horrible. So uh, this year should be a lot better because it's a non-election season when we have hopefully a return to normalcy. Here's how the betting angle works. Uh, we have a lot of what you would call proprietary content. And what that just means is something unique to us. No one else really has it. Uh, so I give out, like a lot of people do in a different sense, though, I give out about four to six a week, picks a week that I like a lot. We try and nail it on Sunday. We try and get out and right when those lines release as early as possible. I have a lot of proprietary data modeling that I tie into the show. I partner with someone not employed here, but yet very, very good at what they do. And has been working on that quite a while. Has a lot of that data and science fluency in their language. So yes, we do talk about it, Melvin. But I also want to put it to you this way. I do three shows a week on YouTube during the fall. And I just don't have time to take as deep a dive as I'd love to into each individual game. There is a portion of our audience, though, that would love that. So you hear me keep pushing Instagram and you hear me keep pushing at late kick Josh and you hear me keep telling you to follow over there. Well, here's why all of those platforms have live capability too. And who's to say, for example, that when I get off the air Sunday nights in the fall, when the lines have just been released, who's to say that I don't walk off that set 
in our studio high atop Nashville, Tennessee. Hop right on the I, Josh, 10 minutes later, and everyone joins me there live, and we just start deep diving those point spreads to where if you want to join, you can join. If you don't want that to be a part of your show, that's fine. We didn't put it in the mainstream portion of Late Kick. Who's to say when I'm on the road on Friday nights this fall that we don't crank up that Instagram live late on Friday night? Last thing you're seeing before your head hits the pillow and you know you got big games, you want to move money on the next morning. Who's to say we can't have a little conversation about the board, look at the totals, look at the derivatives, look at the spreads right there on Friday night, late, whichever city I'm in, whichever hotel room I'm in. Who's to say we can't do all that? So uh, no one is the answer. And my answer to you, Melvin, is we will be saturated with betting content this fall. But what I don't do is I don't stuff it into every angle of every mainstream show I do. What I want to do is give you the option to access it while at the same time making the betting content that I put in the main show appealing to every viewer. And you may think to yourself, well, how can it appeal if you don't like betting? Oh, it can appeal. I know a ton of people that don't ever bet, that have no interest in betting, but they have a huge interest in odds making. They have a huge interest in knowing who's favored and who would be favored and this and that. And how how much has the line moved on the Clemson NC State game since Monday? There's a big interest in that. Even from Steve, who works down at the pharmacy, who wouldn't even so much as know how to open a sportsbook account. Good for you, Steve. Stay out of it. Save your money, my friend. But he may still be interested in it. So Melvin, I try and find a way to attack it from every single angle. And if you don't get what I'm saying, trust me, my friend, be around this fall and beforehand, and you will get it. Connor up next. Connor has a really interesting question. He said, let's say college football continued for the next 100,000 years. Would every team eventually win a title? Now, Connor, I don't think we have more than 50,000 years left in college football. I've got my own models here, and I'm I'm showing us running out of steam about year 50,000, but I'm going to entertain the question anyway. Let's say we make it to 100K. 100,000 years from now, would every team have won a title? And my answer is no. I think there's a cliff somewhere in there. If we were to ask this in the NFL, you know, the Detroit Lions are terrible. They have been for a long time. But if you were to say, if the NFL were to continue for even 100 years, would the Detroit Lions win a Super Bowl over those 100 years? Well, statistically, the answer is yes. That's what I would say. If I had to bet my life one way or the other and we could simulate it with absolute truth, yes, the Lions would win a Super Bowl at some point. The entire structure of the NFL is built to allow that to happen. College football is not built like that. And for the record, that's not a bad thing. It'll never be built like that, nor should it be. But with that comes a certain cliff. And I don't know where the cliff is. Over 100,000 years, I don't know where that cliff is, but and I'm not speaking in data terms right now because I don't speak that language, but I can think in that language. But you guys who speak that language know the exact terminology for the concept I'm about to lay out. Picture all 130 FBS teams. And for the sake of argument, let's say it just stays at 130. And just lay them out. And you see them, and there are teams at the front, you know, the big teams like Oklahoma or Auburn or USC. Those teams would win multiple titles, obviously. And then you keep going down the list. And even teams like uh, North Carolina, University of Virginia, Minnesota, there would eventually come a day over 100,000 years where they would win titles. They would probably win several of them. I think North Carolina, for example, would win several titles over 100,000 years. But then you keep going and you keep going and you keep going. What I'm saying is the law of statistics and probabilities to a certain extent applies to, I don't know how many teams it would be. Maybe it's 40 Maybe it's 30, maybe it's 60, but there's a cliff somewhere in there. There is a cliff. There's a point of no return 
where everything is diminished from a resource standpoint, from an access standpoint, to such a degree that you could play 10 million simulated seasons and that team would never win a national championship. I'm thinking about a program like the University of South Alabama, or I mean, let's pick New Mexico State. We could simulate this thing 10 trillion times, given the same conditions, 10,000 times, 10 million times, however long you want to go. I don't think New Mexico State is winning a national championship in the sport of football. So they are well off the cliff. I want to know exactly where that cliff is. Where is the last team right on the edge of the cliff that theoretically would win a title over 100,000 years, and then that's it? That's the cutoff. Now, that would be a fun experiment, and one that, to be honest with you, I'm totally unprepared to do sitting here in my apartment in Nashville, Tennessee. But I'm looking out my window, and I can kind of see Vanderbilt University over there, and I got the Got a sense someone walking that campus this morning could pull this off. All right, let's keep rolling here. Oh, before I forget, so I had it buried in a document on my desktop here. Remember, I wanted to put this in the middle so I didn't front load it with all the announcements. I have a couple of spots open for Zoom consultations. And so if you want to schedule one, not going to beg. I'm just telling you, if you're looking to get into this in any shape, form, or fashion, if you're looking to crank up a YouTube channel, podcast, we are having... Some very, very good success with folks that are booking these. That's all the testimonial I need to give. JoshPate706 at gmail.com. Hit me up if you want to book one of those. They're really helpful. It's me and you. It's one-on-one. It's one hour. We work it around your schedule. Uh, We have limited options. I have limited spots right now available, but I can work with you. Hop in those. I can work with you. So JoshPate706 at gmail.com. Or you can DM me, Instagram, Twitter, at LateKickJosh. All right, now we roll on. So Clark has a really good question here. It's about... Where you'd go for college, let's just say a college football player, let's say you're good. You're good enough to get offers from all the big boys, but for whatever reason, there's a condition on your scholarship. And that condition is you'll never be able to play in the NFL. Whatever reason, just pretend. This is fantasy land. Where would you go then? Remember, NFL is no longer an option, so you're not trying to get to the next level. Where would you go? I got some ideas, and I'll answer it right after this. So to tee up Clark's exact question again, he said, based on your current interests in life, which program would you commit to if you knew the NFL would not be a possibility afterwards? So this theoretically, unless you just love Tuscaloosa, Alabama, this may take Alabama off your list. It may take Columbus, Ohio off your list. But there are a lot of good ones out there. I think a lot of you may go Hawaii. Maybe you go Miami. Those aren't bad choices at all. I had two that came to mind. Now, again, this is going to differ person to person because like he said, Base it on your current interests in life. Maybe 18-year-old me would feel different than modern-day me, too. So who knows? I love the outdoors. Love getting outside. Love being in nature. So the Great Smoky Mountain National Forest is over near the University of Tennessee. I think I may pick Knoxville. Knoxville's a great place to be anyway. I may pick the University of Tennessee, but I also love the Pacific Northwest, and that's a place I haven't been able to go. So when I say I love it, I love all the postcards I've seen. I think Oregon would be a really good place to commit. Washington may be a good place to commit. Because here's what I'm trying to balance. You said my current interest. Well, I have a big interest in college football. And I love the big game day atmosphere. So I want to play someplace where I can still have access to that. If I play at Oregon, I'm playing at Oregon, obviously. That's one of the best game day environments in college football. I get to go to the Coliseum, may play in the Rose Bowl, may go to a playoff game. So I get that. If I play at Tennessee, obviously I'm in the SEC and I play at Neyland. So I'm taking care of all that. But I also get access to some of the greatest natural resources in the United States of America, based on my interest. Now, I would also not complain if you put me at Hawaii. I may give up the game day atmospheres, but I'm gaining, I don't know, Hawaii. I could also go at UCLA. You know, I could live in Southern California because I love the beach too. I could go to Miami, ditto. 
What if I went to Oklahoma or Oklahoma State and I studied storm chasing or I studied atmospheric science? I would unofficially study storm chasing. So I would give myself access to that. But then I would also in the winter be in the Midwest and the Midwest in the winter is no place I want to be. And unfortunately, I'd be tied down with spring practice, so I probably couldn't fully partake in the most active storm chasing season of the year. So that's probably going to be out for me. But I think, again, I'm going to get some responses on this, and you'll probably change my mind because I didn't have a ton of time to break this down. I think my answer, Clark, is going to be either Tennessee or Oregon, and I got several honorable mentions. Here's one about a program that is a little off the radar and it shouldn't be. What are your thoughts on Justin Fuente and the Virginia Tech Hokies? The majority of Vatech fans think he'll be out of a job at the end of 2021. Uh, well, and this is my answer now, I think a lot of you thought he was going to be out of a job after 2020, and I was with you. I thought that too. Once we started seeing that cascade of irrelevancy to the preseason, no one's going to be fired argument, and once the money came in, then all of a sudden everyone was on the chopping block that would have normally been on the chopping block. And so I thought since that was the case, and other programs had made a move first, and Shane Beamer was going to be in play, who theoretically would be among the short list to replace Justin Fuente, I thought Virginia Tech was going to make a move. Well, they didn't. Now, here's what you never know. Here's why I'm very leery. I'm always very leery. I almost never do it of calling for a coach's job. In fact, you can count on one hand the number of times I've ever done it. I can't even off the top of my head remember. Now, what I will do sometimes is if I get intel that leads me to believe a guy's going to be out regardless of my opinion on him, I'll tell you. Like I heard that about Tom Herman last year. So I told you. I didn't necessarily say, I think he needs to be gone. I mean, maybe I agreed, maybe I didn't. But I just keep that to myself a lot of times. And here's why. It's not just a matter of principle on the surface. It's a deeper-seated principle in that I understand what I don't understand. Let's use Justin Fuente. Do any of you know the specific financials of the athletic department there? Do you know about budget limitations? Do you know about staffing shortages? Do you know about the no's he's gotten on facility upgrade enhancement requests? I do. It's not any inside information I've been given. I've been doing a lot of reading on him and some other programs in the ACC over the last week for some stuff we're going to do over the summer. They're very, very shorthanded. I mean, he's been, he's been dealing from a short deck. And I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm merely trying to suggest there are reasons sometimes beneath the surface for why you see underachievement. To draw it closer to home, to make it relatable to a bigger portion of our listening audience, this happened with Mark Richt at the University of Georgia for a long time. You may be listening right now in Laredo, Texas, and saying to yourself, Georgia? No one ever gets told no to anything at Georgia. No, 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 no. Kirby Smart doesn't get told no to anything at Georgia. But that wasn't the way it was for his predecessor. See, that's why Smart was a game changer for Georgia. He came in from Alabama, where there's a guy named Nick Saban coaching. And when Georgia hired Smart, or they were interviewing him, he said, well, what do you want from me? And they said, well, we want to do what Alabama's doing. He essentially said, uh, are you willing to do what Alabama does for Nick Saban? They said, well, yeah, we do already. He said, really? Because I'm looking at the analyst staff and the support staff here and the recruiting budget and this and that and yada, yada, yada. No, you're not doing that. You're doing a fraction of that. And he finally got them to loosen up their sweater vests and their bow ties a little bit and say, okay, whatever you need, we got you. We got your back. So now there's no excuse at Georgia. But when Richt was there, Mark Richt was just said, heads up against Nick Saban. We need you to match him. And so every Saturday, we're going to have our eye on you. And, you know, he didn't back down. He said, okay, I'm fine with that. But then he'd walk in the office a random Tuesday afternoon in June and say, I need to add five support staffers. I need to add 
five recruiting analysts. I said, no, we don't have room in the budget for that. What do you mean we don't have room? I just told you we needed them. Make room. No, 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 that's not how it works here, Mark. We got to pass it by this committee and this council, and it's got to go to this board for approval. Well, Nick Saban just does like this. He just snaps his fingers, and they, they just appear. There they are. Poof. Just They weren't here yesterday, and they're here today. My, that got pushed up the chain of command really quickly. Oh, he is the chain of command. Uh, and that's not actually the way it works, but it kind of is the way it works. So my point is, how do we know what the internal dynamic is at a place like Virginia Tech? When we look at Justin Fuente and we think he's underachieved and we don't like the energy of the program or the direction, I can agree with all that. I can get on board. I'm just saying, sometimes since you pay a guy a bunch of money, he becomes the face of the program, and that everyone understands. Jimbo Fisher gets it, Nick Saban gets it, Justin Fuente gets it. But it doesn't change reality. See, I could pay Justin Fuente $100 million dollars. If I'm not giving him the staff that he needs, if I'm not giving him the facility enhancements and upgrades, if I'm not giving him the budget flexibility that he needs to compare, not to Clemson, but maybe to the other programs in the second and third tiers of the ACC, if I'm not giving him that, it's totally irresponsible of me and unfair for me to expect him to compete. And by the way, this is where we can circle back to Iowa State. And I've told you, I've done several segments on this. Iowa State and Matt Campbell, the head coach at Iowa State, is ruining it for a lot of people. Because right now, I could be an administrator at Virginia Tech, and I could shortchange Justin Fuente to the left and right, up and down, every day, twice on Sunday. And when he comes to me and complains and says, I don't have but 68% of the staff that Mac Brown does at North Carolina. I don't even have but 40% of the recruiting budget Dabo has. How am I supposed to compete? Here's what I can do. I can say, uh, have you ever heard of Matt Campbell? Have you ever seen Iowa State? Because they are in the same position you're in, and they're competing with Oklahoma, and they're going to the Fiesta Bowl, so why can't you do it? You just got to get creative. Now, anybody out there who's ever run any kind of organization understands you don't use the unicorn as your standard. You look at the unicorn, you admire it, you softly pet it on the nose, you don't expect Justin Fuente to grow the horn out of his nose, though, and become the next unicorn. Matt Campbell's don't grow on trees. So Matt Campbell's the exception out there. Great for Iowa State. If you're going to try and use that model, you're probably just going to drift off into the Atlantic eventually. That's not, in all likelihood, the way it's going to happen. So I guess, to conclude here, my thoughts on Justin Fuente are... They've underachieved. I've been disappointed in the outcomes. Maybe it's all on him. Maybe it's 80-20 on him, or maybe it's a 50-50 deal, and we just don't know. In any event, here's what we do know. Administrators aren't the ones who are going to be fired. It's going to be Justin Fuente at the end of the day, and I think the end of that day, like you said here in the question, is probably pretty close. I think if status quo is maintained one more year, he'll be out of there. I got to be out of here now because we got to get ready for a late kick live tonight. So thank you so much for listening. Remember all the, as we call them, the calls to action. Follow that Instagram account at late kick Josh. Hit me up if you want a Zoom consultation. JoshPate706 at gmail.com. For producer Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great rest of your afternoon and God bless. Mm-hmm.